Welcome to Arcade Bookshop, your podcast about video games and their literary counterparts for all of you who love to play and to read. Thanks so much for listening and joining us today. I'm Bryce Yoli, and as always, I'm here with my pal and cousin-in-law, Caleb James. And today is another very special episode because we're also joined by Jaime Alejandro. Thanks for coming on, Jaime. Thank you, folks. It's my pleasure, and it's really good to meet you guys. It's uh, It's been a long time coming, so uh, yeah, I'm really excited to get the ball rolling here. Yeah, so glad to have you on. Jaime is the creator of the Coalition for Digital Narratives, which is home to uh, Coalition Works Online, a literary journal, and other creative endeavors such as the Arts Calling podcast, which he hosts as well. So Jaime, Caleb, and I learned of you through Literary Journal, which you accepted our, our poetry into uh, in winter 2022, I think. Um, yeah. Since then, we've been uh, periodically following your stuff, and I started listening to your podcast recently, and I'm enjoying. Uh, I'm enjoying it. I just I love listening to you talk and uh, the way you talk with all your guests. I think what I like most across the board about all of your stuff is that you clearly just care about people using their creativity and finding a place for it. And you have a way of, at least in your podcast, you have a way of drawing drawing out like where that creativity comes from and and why they use it and. And I, I'm just I'm I think to start off, I'm curious where your passion for for that comes from. Yeah, uh, folks. So again, thanks for having me. And I, I really appreciate the uh, the kind words there. Um, I think it's it's sort of it's been a convergence of all of the things that I love in life. And a lot of those things started very early. I mean, just I think now I've summarized my life into uh, my creative life anyway, into a life of writing and recording, because that's really fundamentally what it's always been. Um, I come from a family of musicians, you know, on my my mom's side, my dad's side, all musicians. So with with my dad, just being the kind of curious person he is, I've always been around recording equipment. I've always been around kind of gear and having those kinds of uh, abilities nearby. So because I, I've always been into stories, because even when I was a kid, I was, you know, carrying a ream of paper, writing, you know, flash fiction or whatever. Eventually, even as I was continuing doing theater in high school and pursuing it in college and then doing playwriting, you know, in college and thereafter, I, I always wanted to find a way to combine these things and really make it something that was that was truly fulfilling for me. Because at some point, maybe it just felt like one thing wasn't enough, you know, and, and maybe I'm just not able to focus. Maybe it could be, you know, that I that I'm antsy and I want to keep moving. But eventually it just became something that was so logical. And it's kind of silly because I, I needed to get to a place where I could be emotionally and and in other areas of my life, I needed to be OK to find my way to what that needed to be. Uh, so I'm sorry I'm kind of rambling here, but uh, yeah, that that's sort of how everything began. And, and it just needed, you know, um, finding stability for my family and, you know, getting through COVID and all this other stuff to to really realize that okay, you just got to simplify and you got to do the things that you want to do that will allow you to not only express yourself, but to connect with people who are like-minded, who regardless of where they come from can have a place, you know, even if it's just for a little bit to have that bit of poetry or short fiction, or even to share their story with me, that that means the world. And, you know, it it, is, it does seem like a lot still, but I think that that's, uh, that's the goal still. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I can, relate to that in at least my own version version of all of that like you refer to your 
I was listening to your your like update on your website recently, and mm. I I noticed that you refer to I, I think it was in that or maybe something else. So I list a whole bunch of your stuff, but I noticed you refer to your guests as usually working class creatives, which I think mm. most of us nowadays are. And I, I don't know how you know it's it's probably a rare thing that you're not a working class creative. Like I don't know that. Uh, anyone besides like Stephen King or somebody <laughs> like makes a full living yeah, off yeah. Of their creativity. And, go ahead. No, I was going to say, especially with, with folks like us who are like poets and are working in indie lit mags and, and, you know, especially getting to know so many people on Twitter like that, it is the common condition of most artists. But the reality here and, and what kind of prompted me to begin just being open about these things is how rare it is to hear that on on social media sometimes because we are all wanting to present our best selves and by our best selves does that mean that we have to present as as being more well off or more successful than we actually are and you know i'm i'm a geriatric millennial so my perspective on social media is already like messed up but i i do think that um I just wanted to be honest about that. That's that's who I am. You know, I'm a Mexican in Wyoming trying to make art and connect with people. You know, it's it's that's who I am. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I like I like that you like to talk about people's backgrounds and what makes their art unique, where it comes from and like where yours comes from, like how how you you decided that you have to just do what like what makes you happy, what what drives you. And you have to figure out you have to like balance your life stuff in order to get there. And I think I think you referenced you said something about <laughs> Julia Cameron recently, which I think you're referring to her book, right? Right. Yeah, the and, writer's way. Um Yeah. So I I I love that because that's always a synchronicity for me. Um <laughs> I I bring that up to literally everyone I talk to because I just read that myself. Uh mm a year and a half two years ago and it changed me and it sounds like it sounds like the same thing happened to you and that that's that maybe that's what got you going yeah and and i'm glad that you mentioned that because it came to me at the perfect time it came to me during the pandemic and that being one of the uh uh, one one of the cool things about the writer's way is that it came to me at the perfect time much like everyone during the pandemic who was trying to find their creativity again and things like that it was one of those that was on my checklist for like 10 years, right? You know, I, I'm in college. Somebody says, you got to read this thing. And I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll get to it. But the way that it 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 worked, I mean, I just really had to go through a period of time where I wasn't focusing on my creativity and I was suffering for, you know, close to five, five years or so. And we get to this period of the pandemic and everyone's looking, searching for answers. And for me, you know, I, I had it on the list and I finally picked it up and the morning pages just by themselves have been one of the greatest things that I've, I've ever done because naturally like some kind of crazy person, I walk around with a ream of paper, just always like having that available. And, and so for me, it was pretty organic to begin the day that way and just expel to vent. And um, it's actually reached out to the rest of my creative philosophy and sort of how I see my creative journey. And if I may linger on this just a little bit, this idea that when you're struggling emotionally, financially, or in many facets of your life, I, I've never felt like I could be creative in a, in a hectic situation like that. You know, there's people who thrive in those environments and those situations where they say, I'm okay being a starving artist because I'm living my purpose. I'm living my best life. That's not me that I can't operate <laughs> that way. And so 
again, these are very simple answers, but it took me a very long time to figure out what I needed to do and how I needed to do it. And the morning pages kind of reminded me and, and showed me in retrospect that that's what I was doing for most of my life was trying to expel a lot of the uncertainties that I had experienced in my life, whether I was a child or, or growing up, you know, being a, a Mexican Wyoming, sometimes that was a, that was a wild time. Sometimes that was not. And, um, I think that there was a lot of things to process in life before you can feel like you you're you got two feet on the ground and you you actually know where you're going and that it's coming from you. So that's sort of what the morning pages allows me to do every single day. It allows me to expel that which is not helping me at all. But, you know, as as creatives, you know, we look at that and then we say, oh, there's something good there. There, There's something in the in the muck. You're going to find something that might that might bring something about creatively. Right. And for all of you yeah. who don't know. Um, so Julia Cameron wrote this book, The Artist's Way. And Julia Cameron is also the sister of James Cameron, the director. OK, so that I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I found that out because I I. I think at one point in the book, she refers to her famous relative or something like that. And I was like, famous relative, Cameron. <laughs> and then I did some Googling wow. and found it out. But uh, beyond that, the uh, morning pages are uh, something that Julia Cameron recommends, which it seems like across the board, most creative people that I listen to eventually talk about the artist's way and specifically about the morning pages. And they are the recommended three full pages, uh, I think, is it front and back? or just three pages? Uh, yeah, I mean, it depends. Uh, I, I thought it was four. Mine, mine's just been four uh, oh, okay. for the last uh, couple of years, yeah, but yeah. I think I think it was three front and back. Okay, yeah, of just writing, like emptying out your brain first thing in the morning or like the first downtime you get yeah. in your day or whatever, getting it in every day. And for me, it's always like, it's always an opportunity for me to just just empty out. And then after that, my process used to be, which I'm I'm kind of out of my routine, but my process used to be uh, getting up, writing my morning pages, meditating for a little bit, and then I'd sit and write poetry for an hour. And, you know, it might be crap, but <laughs> but the morning pages help me to get my get my motors going. And then I have a I have a better mindset for writing something better and something clearer. So I don't have the the mud of you know, the last, the, the previous day or sometimes the last week or whatever stuck in my head that's that's interrupting my flow. But yeah, I, and I recommend this book to literally anybody. So anybody who's listening who is either a writer or a gamer or whatever you're doing, a content creator anyway, uh, this book isn't just for writers. It's, it's for anybody who has any creative, you know, it's for anybody actually, because she says everybody has the creative bone and you just have to figure out what it is. Yeah and put your mind to and it. I couldn't agree more. I yeah. mean, that, that really is the, the foundational thing that, that just kind of lifts us up. Um, some people might not feel that more than others, but I, I do believe that if you have the inclination, the worst thing you could do is suppress it. The worst thing you could do is, is not make it a part of your life in some way. Um, because let, let me ask you guys, I mean, I'm curious, was there a time when you've tried to withhold that creative impulse when you've tried to, to just, you know, go down, you know, the, the average path of, of just, you know, work and paying the bills and, and taking care of your family. And that's it. You know, was there a time like that for you guys? Yeah, I, I'll answer real quick first. Um, I, I feel like, I feel like, uh, it happens. It, it, it it's a periodic thing. And I would say mm. 
I would say for the first part of my life, I knew I was creative, but I had trouble just doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I like to do those things. But when it came to me choosing to do it on my own instead of like having like being told to do it in a class setting or whatever, I I just had so much trouble deciding to sit down and do something for myself. And I think it wasn't until I and I always did well in class coursework. It was so it wasn't until I read that book where I decided to just let's just do this for once and for all. Mm-hmm. And in this past mm-hmm. year, I had kind of kind of some uh, life stuff happened. So I really got out of it. The last like three months, I didn't write anything, but I finally just started getting back into it and it feels so much better. But to your point about like not being able to function creatively when you're going through, like when you're suffering, I am totally that mm-hmm. way. And it's frustrating mm-hmm. because you feel like you feel like this is, I, I have so much to write about and I just can't, I can't do it until I'm out of it until I start to get out of it until I like get into a, at least the beginning of a better mindset. It's just not something that I can do. So it's like, I, I know I have it in me, but I have to wait. I have to, I, I just know I have to wait and it's frustrating. <laughs> and I don't like, maybe I'm wrong about that too, but it's just like personally, I, and I'm always thinking of, of that book in the back of my head. So I feel, it makes me feel a little bit like a failure. Like I'm not doing my everyday thing, but uh, that that's what it is for me. But you can talk, Caleb. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a little different in... <laughs> I never had an inkling to stymie any kind of creative output. Uh, but where my problem always lies, even now, is something you touched on earlier. And that is like the burnout a lot of us creatives have. Oh, yeah. Because working creatives, you know, like you said, the emotional output, you have your day job and physical exhaustion, the mental exhaustion, any other things you have going on in your life. Um, I'm not a parent, but I know a lot of parents that, you know, writers, painters, it's a huge problem for them is just finding the time to do things. And even if they have the time, how do you turn on that creative? Like you, it's hard. You can't just, okay, I'm going to be creative right now. I'm just, you know, cause I only have an hour window. I need to just go into it and work now. So, yeah. so even now uh, a major issue I have is say I get home from work and I, I want to work on a story or a poem or whatever it is. And I'm just physically not there and mentally not mm-hmm. there. So, you know, I, I sit down in my computer or my notebook and the blank page is staring at me and I know what I want to write, but I just, I, it won't come out. Like, it's just, I want to yeah. do anything else. And um, <laughs> that, yeah, that's usually, that's the biggest issue I, I've ever, you know, come across creatively. But when it comes to just output, you know, even when I was a kid, oh, I want to just write a story or I want to paint, I want to do whatever. I never had a problem with that. So I guess that's a good thing. But I do know a lot of people who they have to have everything fall just right. Like you guys are talking about a morning routine. I never had to have a morning routine. I don't need to meditate or do anything like that. I just sit down. I just start writing wherever I'm at, whenever I'm at. Like your idea of having a paper or a notebook with you. Like that's always been me. But yeah, the burnout is what always got me. Yeah, man, I I agree. I mean, I, I do think that there are seasons to this where we all you know, think that we have everything in check. And this is me 100% where I have my life figured out, you know, once a quarter, and then, and then the next one comes along. And then and then it's the exact opposite. But that's really, I guess, the the other component that that unifies everything that makes us get through it is is lending ourselves a bit of patience and grace to, to actually get back on track. Because there there are times when, you know, you come home from work, as you said, and you just have nothing left in the tank, there's just really nothing. And 
Um, I guess, you know, Bryce, one of the things that, that you mentioned in the email was, you know, how do we continue, right? And how do we keep sort of doing the thing that we want to do? And, and for me, it really is a matter of, of remembering that tomorrow you'll have another opportunity to do it, especially with the way that I run the coalition, the way that I do the podcast. I'm not 100% bound by social media schedules of having to post six times every single day or whatever. I just want to connect with somebody and I want to I want to have a shared experience with with creative people. And sometimes, you know, like that, that could be considered laziness where I don't want to, you know, just be as industrious, you know, on the social media front or or, you know, on the publicity front to, to let these people be heard. But I feel that I can wait another day if I got nothing left in the tank. And so that in conjunction with making sure that I'm creating short form work kind of allows me to to just focus a, a short amount of time on something that won't be expansive like Lord of the Rings that will be unapproachable, you know, um, and I, I hate to say bite size, but that's really what it is. You know, I think uh, we people have to pay the bills. We need to find ways to to just kind of get that art any means possible. And that means creating shorter work. And, and I'm happy with that. Well, sometimes creativity is the same as fitness. You can go to the gym one day and mm. you're not feeling quite right and you have to listen to your body or you can hurt yourself or, you know, you just have a bad workout would be probably the best case scenario. But <laughs> if you go into the creativity side of things the same way where it's like, ah, like you said, I'm not really feeling a Lord of the Rings type of work coming out of me, but maybe you can do something smaller and you just right. adjust on the fly. Maybe. I will just outline some things today, or maybe I'll just jot down some uh, images for a poem rather than actually try to write the poem. And then there's always tomorrow. There's the next day mm -hmm. that you can work on it. And maybe that day will be the day that you get your good workout in, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned working out because I guess I could benefit from that more than anyone. But the, the <laughs> there's a sense of liberation when you, when you fall into that routine and, uh, you know, my, my wife lately has been through like this, uh, this awesome workout situation. So this year has been incredibly great for her, you know, and, and I now, you know, my son and I are trying to catch on that train of, of fitness, because I do feel like you have a sharper mind, you have a clearer mind when you're able to just, again, find another way to expel any kind of uncertainties that you have in your body and your mind through working out. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal, the feeling of, of just being able to uh, to just sort of work yourself out to to the limit, even if it's through the page or through, you know, a couple of workout sessions or something like that. It's just incredible. Well, Stephen Kotler has some great work on flow states and, mm. you know, working. I mean, even something as simple as just going for a walk. It not only clears your head, but it can put you and routines a big part of this as well. A lot of uh, successful writers. I wake up at 430 before anyone else drink black coffee and I just write before my brain's even awake. But if you can get into those flow states and it becomes a habit, because that's one of the big things is habit. When you create good mm -hmm. habits for yourself, especially on the creative front, you'll be able to have a better output and more consistent. Because like I always say, you can have a writing session that's not so good and then you can have a couple good ones and another bad one. When the work's finished, the reader is not going to know this section was a bad writing session. You know, they're not going to know that, oh, he was in the zone here, but here he was struggling. It, it, that doesn't matter to them. It's just the final product. So if you can really focus your energies and work on getting into flow states better, usually the writing output is just always consistent, whether it's good or bad. Like it's in a nice level in the mi uh, middle. 
And fitness is one of the big ways you can get there, at least the fastest ways, because it, when you're physically exhausting yourself, you are usually mentally sharper and it clears your head of all the, you know, what oh, I got to make lunch later. I got to get the kids from school. Mm-hmm. Like all that stuff kind of goes away. Like for me, before bed is my worst time for that. Like right when I'm trying to sleep, that's when my brain thinks of all the things that I have to do. And usually they're unimportant. They're things that don't really matter. But oh, tomorrow at work, I have this and this and this. But when you are able to clear your head, uh, not just sleep is better, but creativity is better. So that's why you guys are talking about writing, you know, the day before in the morning, I'll just empty my head. I usually do that before bed. I just mentally empty my head. I was like, okay, I'm just going to think about this dumb shit. And then, I'm dot, 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 and then I'm good and I can sleep finally. So uh, do you add to your list uh, the, the oncoming apocalypse? Is that something that's ever on your mind? Or how far up the scale of existentialism do you, do you rise uh, at night? It depends because sometimes I look forward to it. So it's not really something that like upsets me. Like some people get upset by the impending doom of a near future apocalypse. But me, I'm like, eh, as long as it hits my state first, whatever it is, and I can get wiped out early. I don't want to be a nuclear survivor or have to walk the wasteland in the road. Cormac McCarthy's a road or something. So if I can be taken out first, I'd be all right. I work with this guy. And uh, occasionally we'll talk about like the crazy stuff happening in the world. And I'm like, might be end times. And he was like, dude, I hope it's this year. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Funny enough, my biggest fear is actually say I get published in like a really good book or maybe just my, you know, I finally finished my novel and get a publishing deal. And the day it comes out, that's the end of the world. and Nobody can read it. Like, God damn, I work for nothing. That's what that's come on. That's only second to like dying at work. Like, I always tell people, oh. like, if I have a heart attack, oh, works, no. please drag my corpse into the parking lot, at least. I don't want to die in work. <laughs> That'd be the worst. Oh, man. Yeah, that that to me is is like the most heartbreaking thing that could happen to to a working class person is like you're you're just minding your own business. You're clocking out even. And then on your way out, you know, you don't even make it to the parking lot. That's literally my nightmare. Oh. One of many. But yeah, <laughs> you hit by a car on your way to the park. Like, oh man, I'm yeah, gonna yeah. go home. It's, it's always like, man, that's I... how it goes. It's never like, oh, I got hit by a car on the on the way into work. Then that might not be so bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But see, for me, those are the things. Those are the thoughts. And I, it might sound morbid or or sort of weird, but I feel like those are the kinds of thoughts that keep me in check and allow me to enjoy every single day and i think it might be exhausting for my wife you know and sometimes i say you know uh, we're gonna die soon you know but but in in a good way in a good way like we can we can appreciate every single moment because this is all we have and that's a beautiful liberating thing too yeah absolutely for sure well i want to talk to you about um the coalition works in general uh because it's basically your home for everything that you do and if you're not posting whatever whatever it is you're talking about it and giving updates on it um Mm -hmm. and within this i want to i want to talk about social media which you brought up already but yeah i I, but before we get there was coalition works kind of like the beginning of you like deciding you're gonna like the artist way stuff like you're gonna figure you're gonna figure out your life stuff and you're gonna like get down to business is that the beginning of it Well, I would say that the coalition has been a long time coming because I've thought about the coalition in some iteration or another since like 2014. Mm. Um, I had been trying to find a way to to make all of these things coalesce, but I just didn't have the answer yet. Uh, Of course, you know, my my son had just been born, you know, like a year before. And 
I was running a business, you know, I was a videographer here in, in my region for like six or seven years. And so that was a majority of my time. So it was something like, you know, pushing it down the road, maybe eventually I'll be able to do this, this or this. And when the stars aligned and I, and I got out of, uh, you know, that business, I felt like, okay, now I can really sit down and do the Julia Cameron thing. Now I can really sort out what the next creative direction is going to go because it addresses your issue, Caleb, that you were saying, like, when, when I was running a business, I was burnt out all the time. Like I, I couldn't even breathe. I couldn't even think. And, and I was doing social media. I was traveling around the state and, you know, maybe neighboring states to do weddings, events, you know, things of that nature. And, and it really, it really wears on you. And video being one of my passions, it, it really just kind of fizzled out my love for that, you know, and for someone who had a camera since he was 10 years old, like that was one of those little creative deaths where I was like, yeah, I don't know that I'm going to get that back. But uh, after after that sort of uh, that situation, I really started to get clear about how to go about doing this without, you know, losing sight of, you know, taking care of my family, which is always priority number one. I just want to make sure that my son and my wife have everything they need. So once I get beyond that, then we, you know, I started putting together this notion of short form work. Um, I think there's a beautiful challenge, much like poetry where you cram in as much as humanly possible, where you you just have so much to work with and you add a performing arts element because that that's just kind of who I am. I write, record, and I direct. I mean, I, I've been, you know, writing and directing since I was since I was a child, wrangling my friends in to do something, to create a movie, to shoot something. Um, and and I wanted a, an extension of that that would make sense in my life as an adult, as a you know, as a parent and a husband and all this other stuff. So I, I, I would say that that 2020 was a year that sort of jettisoned me into this into this path. Uh, and concurrently, the podcasting was just lining up perfectly because I felt that for me, being somebody from Wyoming, which has a, a very good creative community, you know, there's a lot of visual artists here, there's musicians and, you know, that sort of thing. But for me, I I felt like I needed to learn my craft all over again after being away from it. So that was one of the things that I discovered as I was journaling, as I was just sort of trying to map out what the future was going to look like. And really the the main reason, if I may be selfish for a little bit for Arts Calling, was to get to that point where I could meet incredible, talented people like you and, and kind of learn what else is going on and, and sort of get a sense of, you know, what the creative uh, pulse, you know, of the nation or, or maybe the world is, because, you know, I've talked to a lot of international folks as well. And and it's been incredibly illuminating, like just just being able to to talk to people about poetry, to read their poetry, the way you know that I read you guys' poetry, and I was just completely you know made alight by by something beautiful that I wouldn't have expected. Like I think that that has made me a better artist, and that was the goal all along. You know, not only to to become a better you know preacher of this working class creative idea or notion, but just just to get better. Just to just to do better by connecting with others, and and that's how everything sort of coalesced. And now, you know, we have the Arts Calling podcast, which which kind of fuels us with inspiration and teaches us, and you know, teaches me, of course. And and the coalition is sort of a byproduct of that. What do we do with this information? What do we what do we do with uh, with this creativity and, and knowledge that we have? We we put it to good use in short form work, and so that's what the coalition is. Yeah, and that felt I, like a rant. Yeah, no, no, it was all great. <laughs> I loved all of that. Um, and actually, I think before I even saw 
the coalition works, I was considering starting my own literary journal and I was thinking, mm -hmm. what if I just make this a home for everything? Like I'll have a, yeah. I'll have a uh, writing workshop hosted on here too. And I'll, you know, I'll do all this mm -hmm. stuff, you know, just like you're doing. I mean, I don't know if you have a writing workshop, but that there was the same <laughs> kind of idea. And then I saw, and then I saw your stuff and I was like, well, this is it. And it's great actually. And uh, yeah, I love what you say about engaging with other people and getting inspired that way and like ha having that to be a basis for your own creativity to keep it going and mm -hmm. keep them going too and it's funny because we weren't going to do guests on this show initially and then we decided it, it would be a great way to uh compliment it because mm -hmm. you know how many video game podcasts are there out there and how many writing podcasts are there out there so and I, I know like people told me like you should pick one or the other. And I'm like, well, I don't want to. I want to bring exactly. it together. I want to bring it together. And I realize that makes it harder to reach your niche audience. But I want to bring it together because those two things tend to clash. Um, and anyway, my point starting the sentence was <laughs> uh, <laughs> was that I didn't expect to enjoy these interviews as much as I am. And I thought I would be terrible mm -hmm. at it. And I thought I would just clam up and be nervous and just it would just be a disaster. But I love talking to people like you mm -hmm. and and to David. And we just did an interview with um, this guy, Jay. Uh, he, he has a channel called Square Pegs. Uh, mm -hmm. He's a video game collector and used to do QA for uh, for a video game company. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we haven't done a lot yet, but I'm already enjoying it so much and finding that it does. It fills me up to learn about where people came from and yeah. how how they continue and how each step of the way it gets them even more motivated to do the next thing so mm -hmm. yeah i i love that about a podcast like yours and your you know your website where not only do you have your literary journal that you you're the editor for and uh which you you run that by yourself right yeah, yeah. And it's a small effort. I mean, I, I think that eventually if collaborators were to come on board, you know, I, I would be welcome for that. But I think right now, because it's a learning moment for me, yeah. I really want to take my time and I, I want to make sure that I'm facilitating a, a publication experience that is that is good. You know, I, I feel mm -hmm. like I'm still kind of getting learning the ropes of that of that end of it. But yeah, there's room to grow for sure. You yeah. know, that actually makes me wonder if you've had a similar problem as I did in the past, because I ran my own literary journal for years uh, and it was kind of similar. But we, you know, we had open submissions and sometimes you just get, you know, so many submissions. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we would have like one month we would get a couple hundred submissions and it was me and like a small like one or two other people that would read the submissions. And I would I did all the re replying, the editing, the formatting. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we had the podcast and stuff and I wanted to do more things. Uh, we weren't even doing really interviews on the podcast back then just because mm -hmm. the time wise, it, you know, it was difficult to navigate all that stuff. Yeah. But like my question to you is, how do you how are you able to do your creative stuff when you have so many other people's work yet to focus on? Because that's what ended up uh, sinking me is I found I wasn't doing any writing because I was, you know, mm -hmm. reading and covering and editing and everything else, other people's work all the time. Sure. Yeah. So it, it's, it's actually a good question because it's something I'm still trying to figure out now, but, um, I, I work off a checklist and I try to make sure that I have certain days where I don't do coalition things or I don't do arts calling things. So, you know, uh, Monday's usually my day, you know, in the evening where I, 
I make sure that I edit the podcast because if I leave the podcast to the middle of the week, it's not going to get done. It, it's just, you know, there's so much life, you know, slinging, coming your way that that uh, you need to make sure that you front load the week. And for me, that's that's always my plan. So Monday's uh, Arts Calling, Tuesday's The Coalition, and then Wednesday, Thursday, I try to make up whatever thing I haven't uh, I haven't done Monday, Tuesday, and then Thursday or Friday are my days. So like I, I actually get to just write, be free, and not have to worry about much, which is why sometimes it takes a little bit to answer some emails. Sometimes it takes mm. a little bit to, you know, to get things moving. But again, I think I just have to accept that my pace is not one that operates on social media time. I... I would, you know, can't be uh, somebody who's constantly worrying about the response online or if I'm going to fade online, because surprisingly, if, if I just keep things in check, people still come. You know, if I keep the issues coming, if I if I engage in the right way online, you know, not pestering people, not doing anything like that, I can just focus on the work. And that took a long time for me to figure out, because in the beginning, you know, with the podcast and and the uh, the coalition i felt like i had to be on all the time and mm -hmm. i had to be sharing and doing all kinds of stuff and for me that's the stressful thing that is the thing that just completely like wears me out and i say oh forget it none of this is worth it we're all going to die anyway and again i get absurd and existential <laughs> about the whole thing mm -hmm. but um coming back to it i just have to i have to keep track of things and i got to make sure that they get done on the mm -hmm. day um and and maybe there's solace in, in creating shorter work but i think that the reason I kind of like continue to just rant about short form work is that it's just the perfect gateway to an idea that will that will become the right thing for a novella or yeah. a longer play. And and, and I'm it. still writing, you know, like uh, I'm a playwright, so I'm I'm writing plays all the time. I wrote like like a dozen short plays, you know, like last year and, and trying to get them produced. And that's a whole other sort of nightmare. But, <laughs> you know, um, the I guess. I guess that's the thing is is just making sure as you were saying earlier i have to maintain that pace i can't i can't like i can't just burn out you know i can't allow myself to burn out so if there is if like an inkling of that i i step back give myself a day or two and i just remember that the podcast will be there tomorrow the coalition will be there tomorrow and uh and yeah it's better for me to serve people in better spirits than you know to be jaded yeah. and getting grumpy in the emails you know it doesn't help anyone well the right. best thing i did uh creatively was pretty much do away with social media mm -hmm. i mean i'm still on mm -hmm. it and for dpw yeah. i still post random things but like i don't do all the engagement because it didn't bring anything like there was one exactly. at a time where like on yeah. twitter for instance we would have hundreds of responses and retweets and all this engagement and it brought mm -hmm. no more readers to the website and right. no more listeners right. to the podcast or, you know, minimal. And now yeah. I just post like, oh, I've got a new podcast out or I Caleb has mm -hmm. this workout. And it seems like I get the same amount of people actually checking out the stuff because I find the social right. media engagement is not usually your audience. It's not the people that's actually right. reading your work or they just share. you get in these weird loops like you get writers loops who we all share each other's works, but we don't actually read it. <laughs> or uh, you get like this audience loop that's like, hey, it's books, you know, book talk or whatever. And we all share right. uh, what we're reading, but nobody actually is talking about it or nobody's checking out Absolutely. anyone's work. So that's, I found it was a waste of time and it burned all my creative energy. Like I didn't want to write because, oh, I, because I used to yeah. dedicate 
one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening, just to Twitter and Instagram. And I'm going to do this and I'm going to write a blog <laughs> post. And, and then I found by the time it was time for me to do my actual writing, I'm like, I don't feel like it. Like, yeah, exactly. It was, like, just, it was burning. Uh, you know, I was just I was yeah. spinning my wheels. I wasn't doing anything worthwhile. Yeah. Just to add to that for the podcast, I, uh, I, I was similar. I didn't, I wasn't doing any, so I wasn't on any social media for like two mm -hmm. years or more. And then for a while, my wife was running our social media for the podcast and I would just like send her stuff to post. And then eventually she was like, we, we just decided just, I would do it all. And then I was, then I, I made a TikTok for it. Uh, so I could do I promo videos and oh, then man. I started <laughs> so like, I'm making social media posts for like two or three different because I, I post shorts on YouTube too. So I'm mm -hmm. making social media posts for three different uh, social media forms and got sucked right into the sewer. It, yeah, man. Oh, and, and TikTok really pulls you in because the first three yeah. or four days you get like almost a thousand views and likes and follows and stuff. And then if you don't, oh, there's man. like there's like part of the algorithm is that if you don't succeed immediately it cuts you off and after that after those three or four days it, it jumps it, it uh falls down to like it caps you off at like 250 views so even yeah. if your video starts performing yeah. well yeah it just cuts you off and i so i kept up with it for like a few months and eventually i just started getting so burnt out about it and i was like yeah i was like why like should i even do this because it seems that I'm only reaching the same four people every every time I post something. And I'm trying to post exactly. something every single day because that's what the internet says to do. And it doesn't seem like it's translating that well. So I so like last week I started I, I was listening to some of your podcasts and I went back to the very first episode and you were talking with your friend and you were talking he, he was talking about like whatever his business is and how he like he decided that like he kind of did the same thing. It wasn't TikTok, but yeah. he uh, he like even when there was engagement on social media, it did not correlate with mm -hmm. sales at all. And then he stopped right. doing it and then and then only posting when it was made sense to post. And maybe the engagement didn't look right on the surface social media wise, but the sales were showing that it was effective. So. This past week, I was like, screw it. I'm done. I'm <laughs> so I'm, I'm still posting promo videos. But what I was doing was posting like like funny videos, irrelevant stuff just to have something out there every day. And now I'm like, I'm over it. Not doing it anymore. I'll post when it makes sense to because I want to I want people to think about it. But it, like maybe I don't post for three or four days. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a slippery slope, man. I, I mean, I was on TikTok for. I would say about 45 minutes and then I deleted it off my phone because I said, if I continue down this road, I'm going to die on this platform. Yep. Much like the guy who's like leading work and then he dies like right then and there. That's what would have happened to me because it, it just completely sucks you like dry of effort and time. And th those are like the th the only things that we have. Like, isn't there a way to organically connect with people by, by word of mouth, by, by just genuinely engaging with folks? Like, I'm a big fan of the of you know Arcade Bookshop. It's a it's a great podcast, and I I just feel like we just we found ourselves right in a in a fairly organic way, and I we didn't have to shout from the rooftops, but, but here we are having this beautiful, engaging conversation and and enjoying each other's company for just a split moment here, and and I think that it, it reminds me of something that one of my guests said, um, Mr. Richard Jeffrey Newman, he's a poet in New York, and, and he was talking about the idea that you were addressing as well, Caleb, of, of 
literary citizenship. What does that mean? Is it just shouting from the rooftops that you bought something and, and that, you know, like everyone needs to read it and then call it good without reading it? Like, like what is our responsibility as members of, of a small literary community online or maybe a massive literary community online, you know, depending on kind of like where, where you stand on that? Like, I feel that there it's difficult to engage with something because we feel like we're losing time like we have to stay on the social media wheel and i think we would be better served if we genuinely reach out and try to try to make connection with folks and read their work and engage in that stuff and honestly like that taught me a lot running the podcast you know just actually getting to meet the authors who write their work and i read their work now brilliant stuff and and it's something that I wouldn't have done otherwise. I would have been on on that same TikTok wheel or just trying to be heard, you know. But when you hear others, when you give your attention and you try to serve others, things naturally start, you know, coming to you. And well, we would you rather that. have really five hundred loyal readers or your audience is maybe in the millions, but it's like a TikTok audience where they're not yeah, checking out your yeah. work; they just know you and. I mean, I guess if you know if your goal is just to make money, that would be better. But I would rather have a Absolutely. very small, yeah. loyal uh, readership. Yeah, and this is—I mean, this is again another epiphany that seems very clear. But some, you know, somebody like me, I felt like I needed to just kind of fall on my face several times to figure out what I was going to do. And one of the biggest sort of realizations was that I needed to decide what game I was going to play. Did I want to monetize my work? Did I want to be heard and and cut through? the masses of of literary folks who are sharing their work is that the road that i wanted to take and sell my stuff for money and that be the primary driver like is wealth the one thing that's going to gratify me and validate everything that i have to offer or can i just try to do this on my own terms and connect with people and granted like <laughs> i'm not a starving artist anymore you know i work for a living i pay my bills so my priorities are a lot different and so it, it's difficult for sometimes to, you know, for someone to accept that sometimes, but for, for maybe somebody like me who doesn't have connections, who isn't like somebody from, from a well-off family, like I can't do that. So I made the choice to try to honestly engage with people as best as I possibly could and serve as best I can. So, you know, I, I'm not interested in making money with my art. I'm interested in generating connection um, and, and really getting my gratitude and and sort of like my worth from from that you know yeah i love it i have a buddy who i talk to about all my podcast stuff and all my writing all my creative stuff and uh, i actually just reconnected with him a couple months ago but mm. he tends to talk to me about my work about in, in, in terms of money and like you yeah. know making something off of it and I, I'm kind of starting to challenge, like I was listening to that for a while and that's where I was getting really absorbed in the TikTok stuff, yeah, yeah. but I'm, I'm starting to challenge him a little bit on that. And it's nice to hear his perspective and, and like balance those things. Cause you know, you want, you want to get momentum regardless, mm -hmm. but it's right. about what, how it like, in what way that this matters to you. And right. I, you know, at the end of the day, it would be nice for the money to come, but that's not where I'm looking, you know? Uh, and like Caleb reminded me and that, that was kind of, it was kind of the point that I decided to, to like chill out with social media. Is Caleb was like, this is supposed to be something that we do for fun to supplement our writing and our creativity. It's not a right. business. And I was kind of, I was yeah. losing sight of that because I was getting really yeah. into the podcast and I want people to listen to it. But 
like he said, mm-hmm. like if if we're doing social media and getting all these views and stuff, we're turning into social media stars potentially, not mm-hmm. not like writers right. and, and you know. Yeah, and I gotta say that there is absolutely nothing wrong with that, so long as that's exactly what you want to do and how you want to go about doing it. Exactly. But most of the time, and I say this as somebody who's who's been swayed by social media, like I've wanted that. Not because it was it was in my heart or, or something that I deeply craved, but it was something that everybody else was doing. Mm-hmm. And and that's difficult to accept. So that's when the journaling comes in. That's when, yeah. you know, actually doing the work comes in handy because you clarify who you are and, and why you're doing the things you're doing. And and bless Julia Cameron, you know, like that's really <laughs> like the the gift that she's given us is that ability to have a conversation with ourselves about how we want to do things, how we want to invest whatever little time we have on this earth to, to serve, to give joy, to collaborate in some way. Like that's, that's the goal, isn't it? Well, well for me, it is, I, you know, again. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, our society has a strange habit of equating success with sales. I've, I don't know how many yeah. people I've had where I tell them, Oh, I'm getting published in this or, you know, I have a story coming out in, in this anthology or journal and they go, oh, how much did you get paid? That's usually the first question. <laughs> like, first thing. Uh, why yeah. does that matter? <laughs> like if so, if I don't get paid, I'm not, I can have 100 publications under my name. But if I didn't get paid for them, I'm not I'm not a writer. Yeah. I'm not a successful author. Uh, I think that's very strange because at first it's if you're not published in something, you're not a real writer. If you write, you're a real writer, in my opinion. That's all That's all you have to do. Mm-hmm. You have a passion for writing and you're writing. That makes you a writer. But to a lot of people, you have to get published. But then when you get published, it's, well, did you get paid for it? And then mm-hmm. if you do get paid for it, then it's, well, it's how much did you get paid? And if you got paid a yeah. good bit, then it, like there's always these parameters that they put in place. And I don't know if that's just because they're not living their creative life and they, I don't, maybe there's some envy there or something which is a weird thing that a lot of people don't talk about. But when you start doing things that are good just for you and you do mm-hmm. things that you're passionate about and you're chasing your dreams, you have all these other people who will come out and they always have this negative slant on everything. And I never understood that because I always, I don't know if it's just because of, you know, when I was running DPW, the, uh, the literary site or through the mm-hmm. podcast and all the creatives I've talked to, but I've always been a type of person who pushes people towards things. So if somebody even shows an interest in writing, painting, uh, you know, being an actor or something, I always do it. Go for it. That's great. Yeah. It does, I don't think about the money side, which it could be a problem. <laughs> because You know, if you get somebody that's very obsessive about things and then you push them, hey, hey go full four. You want to be an actor? Go be an actor. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. don't pay their mortgage. That could be a problem, you know, but. <laughs> Uh, I think it's very important to chase your dreams instead of focusing on other people's dreams that they're chasing. Yeah. And and this is the thing about that. I feel that sadly, money is the only common language we have. Uh, I mean, that's that's just the absolute reality. And given that life is is really, really hard. I mean, just to exist is incredibly difficult. It can turn people sour. It can make us jaded. And that's one of the reasons why we we have to continue to share and and try to connect as best we can because I, I we we just have to cheer each other on because we're all we have we we are all we have and if we focus on the financial monetary aspect of it you're just going to be winning in the short run 
and and you're not going to be generating the kinds of connections that are going to foster a, a decent quality of life especially in this day and age when again and i i'm sorry that i keep talking about social media but i i do feel that we just have to recalibrate a little bit how we are connecting with our society and i, I say this as an introvert i mean i'm i'm like 60 percent introvert 40 percent extrovert that's what that 40 percent allows me to communicate with people on the podcast and <laughs> be here right now but generally i just want to be at home i want to scroll sometimes and not do anything not not see anyone you know even in my periphery i but <laughs> i understand that we we just have to reach out we have to make sure that we're connecting with people on a human level and yes we're doing this online but ideally in our communities you know maybe there's a way to do that you know, in smaller circles in our communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I like, uh, yeah. I was going to say this earlier, but with that, I, I like that your website isn't just for, I mean, it's not just for the journal. It's not just for your stuff. You mm -hmm. volunteer to make announcements for the people that you, uh, you know, that you put, that you include in the journal and that you have relationships with, or, you know, all, any, anybody creative, basically, like you will, you will mm -hmm. talk people up at just because you want to support everybody and i like i don't know i mean maybe there's other journals and, and stuff that uh, does that but i think that's a very unique quality that you have with the coalition yeah man and and i i think it comes down to the expectation of 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 like how literary journals run and, and maybe caleb you can help me out with this uh i've learned recently that uh the relationship between the person who submits and the literary journal it can be a, a little bit stuffy sometimes. I, I think that you submit and then sometimes you don't even get a response. Sometimes it's, you know, like it, it feels very transactional to me rather than than relationship building. And the, the point for me was to just make sure that if I'm not going to be reaching the masses, I want to reach a person. I want to make sure that I'm generating a connection with another human being. And while there are announcements, you know, that other lit mags might make, I feel that by maintaining communication with with folks who want to stay in communication with the coalition we can potentially collaborate together on other things and and i think that those are the forthcoming things that i want to do at the coalition is to offer the space for the people who have been published there to bring some projects if they if they need some kind of playground to experiment with their craft that is a viable place the coalition would be that place and the only way that i can do that right now is to say here, let's keep in touch. Let's continue to update people on what you're doing. And if you ever want to collaborate, let me know. Keep me posted, and and we can go from there. But I, I mean, I I feel that that's that's my way to serve. That's really what I want to keep doing. Yeah. Well, we both benefited from the fact that we and you currently were the sole creator, and you were the one that's responding to these writers and people submitting uh -huh. work. What I always yeah. did was as long as they follow the guideline because you do you will come across rude people you'll come across people who can't take criticism <laughs> yeah. and you'll come across people who just blatantly ignore every single guideline i don't know how strict i don't remember how strict your guidelines are mine yeah, were yeah. very strict it was like this word count uh you don't have to have a necessarily a cover letter but i would like to know a little bit about yourself but but i would have people that wouldn't have a subject in their email or anything they would just send an attachment I'm not opening that. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, like, I wouldn't do those things. Like, if, if you, as long as you follow the guidelines, but I would always try to make a personal connection, even if I rejected their work. I would, if mm -hmm. I could, because, like I said, you know, you get a couple hundred submissions a month and you're yeah. the only one reading them or one of the only ones. It's hard to have a personal response to 
And I get that. Like some of these literary journals, they get thousands of submissions and they have interns working for them. Maybe the unpaid, you know, college kids, they're not going to have a personal response to everything, but I would try, even if it wasn't a detailed response, but when I rejected people, I would try to tell them why I would, because Mm -hmm. that gives them something to work towards. If you get rejected and you don't know why, which I've had countless times, that's one of the worst feelings because you just immediately assume as a creative, unless you're Kanye West, I'm not good enough. Like that's just your, you know, you don't have that ego. You're just like, I don't, I must just not be good enough. It's never, Oh, they just, they don't know what they're missing. Um, yeah. So because what you're asking for is communication. Yeah. Just a little bit of communication. That's it. That's all you have to do. Well, that's the thing too. That usually means the world to people when you can just have a slight part. Like when I get an email, even a rejection email, like uh, I think the when I submitted to the Missouri Review last year and they rejected my story, mm-hmm. but they just said something nice about it, and it was only like a sentence or two. But that was like, yeah, like that yeah, means the world yeah. to us because it's like, oh, they they didn't think it was hot garbage. They don't think I suck. They just <laughs> didn't want the work or they didn't need the work. Right. So I would always make it a point to be somewhat personal in my emails if I could, and just be you know, mm-hmm. and, and follow up too. Like if you want to submit again or not, that's fine, but. You know, if you have work coming out, let me know. And I would share people's work. And I've met a that's how the whole ball with the DPW podcast got rolling with all these mm-hmm. guests that want to come on now, is because yeah. I would I was I'm actually enthusiastic. I want to meet you. I want to talk to you. I want to share right. your work. I want to see you do well. Like that's the and I, I looked in like your list of your podcast. You seem to be already have covered a lot of the people I have coming on. Like <laughs> I have uh episode Monday coming out with uh, or Tuesday coming out with Tyler Gore you had on not too oh, long nice. ago. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that might've been your recent episode, actually one of your recent yeah, ones. That's, but, that's the latest one. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just like, <laughs> he was so excited to be on because I was just, Oh, I loved your work. And you know, just what I've yeah, I didn't even yeah. read his whole thing or anything, but uh, like He's just great. that means yeah. the world to people, not the praise, right. but just the fact that you care. Like if you could just, because we're, people are so used to uncaring mm-hmm. people that when you actually, because social media conditions you to not care about people. Absolutely. Like people can't, can't even hit a like button on something. They, oh, I mean, I wrote a, you know, a whole story that took me weeks to do, and I'm <laughs> putting it out for free, and people yeah, can't yeah. even hit the like button. It's like, come on. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I do think that we need to fight against that conditioning. Unfortunately, it, it's not, it's not secondhand anymore. And so, uh, I mean, I, I do think that. Um, we're on our way. And, and again, we just have to focus on what we can control. And that is what are, what are the little oasis, uh, plural of oasis that, uh, that we have, you know, that we can, that we can control the environment where we can treat people like human beings. That's really all we can do. We can't, we can't put pressure on these corporations, you know, to do the right thing and, and try to monitor these things so we don't become addicted to to this technology, but I, I sound like such a, like, <laughs> like a Luddite, you know, on this podcast, but you know, I, I think that we just have to train ourselves again to treat each other as human beings and find your way to do that. You know, however you want to do it, just remember that the person that you're talking to is a human being and not an interaction, not, not a financial interaction or, or anything, you know, they're not just or, words or on the like screen. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. I think the way That's to, fine reteach ourselves to do that or you know reteach our own community to do that is to you know teach people to look at social media differently or consider how it actually benefits us and start doing things for yourself 
how many exactly and like yeah. I, again i don't want to keep talking about social media either but <laughs> so, like how many sorry guys <laughs> it, no 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 it's not you cuz like we were already going to talk about it with you <laughs> but cuz it's it's relevant and it it's a little bit damaging to our community and be, because how many videos are there where and maybe people don't even think about this but how many videos are there where people are uh posting like like lip syncing some random person just saying something funny and then that's supposed to be funny again yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that, well, that's well, yeah. a big problem to me and i think i think you like people need to start doing things that they want to do not that they know is gonna get views exactly yeah because you know what you get at the end is is recycled material so everything starts looking the same because it's supposed to be the trend setting thing and and I just think that obviously being honest doesn't doesn't get you hits. Like being mm, being yeah. yourself doesn't really you know doesn't really amount to much sometimes. And but we have to we have to continue with that because I think if we continue, then then things happen organically. I still yep. hold to that that you know we're we're kind of tricking ourselves into feeling fulfilled by something that is just wanting to take our time and effort away. Yeah, and the, this is this will be my last point on this, but. Uh... <laughs> i like i am tr i'm always trying to this is another julia cameron thing but i'm always trying to just move with synchronicities so like my wife has a vegan baking business and she mm. has always said that the most growth comes from uh letting things go naturally not yeah. over focusing on one thing and like really pushing it to get yourself out there like like someone just suggested to me that we reach out to a certain podcast network to see if they can like help us with sponsors and stuff. And, mm. and I had heard of that podcast network from another podcast I listened to. So I was like, well, that's two, that's two times I've heard of them. So I'll do that. And then I was telling the buddy that I referenced earlier about, about that. And he was like, dude, you should reach out to these other ones. And I'm like, well, you know, if it seems like I should do that, if it comes up again in my life, sure. I've, I reached out to the one, but I'm not going to I'm not going to overdo it because if it's you know, if it's not something that seems like like the universe wants me to do, I'm not going to push that. I need to remember that synchronicities aren't just coincidences. They're they're like like signs, they're motivations to direct you where where you're supposed to go. And like you're like you're saying, just go with the flow of like where where the, where the world is pushing you or where the world is guiding you, not pushing you like just do, let things go naturally. And that's where all the most growth comes from yeah ab absolutely i mean i i tend to get pretty spiritual about this you know not not in a in a religious way but just in in letting the cosmos speak to me and that sounds yeah. super woo woo and kind of weird no. but i i think once you start looking in, into the absurdist way of life and and sort of thinking in that realm i think everything sort of becomes a matter of accepting that which you can control to some degree i mean it, it's literally just living in the gray and saying I'm going to try my best, even though like whatever happens, happens, whatever doesn't, it, it's totally fine. But the most important thing is putting effort in the right places toward the right things. And that requires you to do away with a lot of stuff that doesn't really have anything to do with your life. And and again, a lot of my life is offline. A lot of my life is making sure my, my son is going to school. My son is, is emotionally, you know, physically okay, you know, to go on and live his life you know making sure that my wife and i are, are doing okay and and you know it's that those are my primary pleasures in life and that is the sort of the north star of anything that i do and so 
the creative life sort of as a satellite to that just kind of has to stay in orbit in the right way. And there's very little else that I can accommodate to make sure that that life stays balanced, you know, and, and it's hard, you know, to say somebody invites you to do something or, or, you know, an opportunity comes up that, you know, is kind of the right fit, kind of not. Sometimes you have to do away with those things. Sometimes you can't engage in everything. So you got to say no, you got to say no and focus on your joys, focus on, you know, stuff that nourishes you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as we start to wind down here, because we're over an hour yeah. and we could talk yeah. for the entire day. <laughs> yeah, guys. Uh, uh, thank you so much again well, for bearing with me. And uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I just had I want to get to the last thing. And and you're no, it's been great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so as, as we start to wind down um, <laughs> with Arcade Bookshop, uh, I mentioned in my email to you, like we're always trying to em- emphasize to our listeners how important stories are whatever they are, all, all shapes and forms. And that's why it's great to be able to have conversations with people like you and listen to you, listen to you talk to other creatives. And, uh, and you know, like in our core episodes, Caleb and I can get really obnoxious about video games and stuff. Um, but I think, <laughs> I think it can be really easily overlooked how enchanting video game stories are. And as well as the people behind behind those stories and the development and you know all the creation that goes behind it um Mm -hmm. which is why i love to be silly and talk about video games and then get down to what's going on in those stories whether it's in the game or Mm involved like what what happens to have that game like come to fruition and what makes them cool important why it's actually okay to play video games sometimes even Mm -hmm. when people tend to say it's a waste of time or it's childish or something so I just want to know, Jaime, how like if if you have a video game past and if it's if it played any any important role in your creative growth or how how that may or may not have impacted you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm going to date myself here. I come from an older generation, uh, the Super Nintendo generation. And so I'm going to begin there with actually appropriately when I when I was a kid, when I was about eight years old, I saw the first Mortal Kombat at an arcade around the the corner of my grandma's house in Mexico. Like that's how massive Mortal Kombat was. It just reached anywhere and everywhere. And I I have to say that to this day, and this is going to sound ludicrous, it informs what I enjoy about storytelling, which is ensemble. And and I know that like we we might address this a little bit later, but it, it really allowed me to start finding my way in genre a little bit, you know, because the plays that I write are 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 more absurd strange situational sort of plays and and i think a lot of it originates from those kinds of inclinations you know of of characters that are working in different realms that are that are coming together from different backgrounds and and they unite for a common cause like these are these are really universal beautiful themes that kind of permeate through a a lot of my work uh that i've done in the past but i think in in terms of storytelling i had a fall-off point because i said I'm going to be a I'm going to be a serious playwright and I'm I'm not going to focus on this stuff. So from like high school on I didn't really do gaming and I lost sight of of you know that kind of that that love for video games and and sure enough I come back to Mortal Kombat 11 <laughs> you know a couple of years ago and and mostly because I was hooked by the cutscenes that I saw on YouTube, you know, because the algorithm just feeds me what I want to see. And sure yeah. enough, there's a whole narrative, you know, where everyone cut, they, they cut all of the cutscenes into one sort of long form movie. And I was like, this oh, is yeah. great. You know, like I, I love this experience. 
but now I'm I'm old. I, my fingers can't move too fast, and so it's really <laughs> difficult to uh, to play. So I haven't played Mortal Kombat very much, but um, I'm grateful to have had that opportunity to just watch this this industry grow. You know, from afar, of course, I haven't been in the thick of it, but it's fascinating because that allows every single person on this planet to be a storyteller, whether they admit it or not. It, it is a choose your own adventure, but at the same time, you're calling the shots. You're deciding the destiny of this character and you're going through an emotional journey, whether you like it or not, even if it's just some, you know, shooter game or whatever, there's narratives that are so good now that they rival Hollywood. And even now, the, I mean, the video game industry makes like twice as much as Hollywood, you know? So are we yeah. kidding ourselves here? Like, that is the primary mode of communication for for our younger generations and and even you know some of us geriatric millennials like <laughs> it, it is a beautiful source of storytelling and it is becoming again a common language where we can we can start to understand each other and we can create community that way so like i i have nothing against video games even though i used to i've come around and i've seen the light because it's just a shame that I'm too old now to to really play video games. <laughs> uh, no, I get Mortal yeah, Kombat kind of though. Like Mortal, I, I started playing Mortal Kombat 11. Uh, I didn't play very much of it, but I it teaches you in the yeah. beginning like what how to do all the moves and stuff. And I was like, dude, yeah, how in the yeah. world? Like, you have to, you really have to have like nimble fingers and like mm, and right, and right. memory to know all those all those things. But yeah, and you mentioned how. Video, the video game industry is starting to make so much money, like rival Hollywood. Like yeah. a good example that I heard recently, when uh, when Disney bought Star Wars, they bought it for something like four some billion dollars. Yeah. And then recently, when um, what Microsoft bought Activision Blizzard or whatever, they they bought it for like sixty eight billion dollars it's it's just staggering the the amount of money that's circulating through and you know my i my son plays Fortnite, so that's really like my closest association that i have right now with with video games and uh the release was for this latest iteration of the game was was just massive that it shut down Fortnite servers i mean the the amount of interest that these games are generating is, is incredible but i feel like the the good thing and i i try to look at the upside of this because most of us need to learn how to engage with other folks with strangers and it's a wonderful social exercise and i just hope that it you know stays positive um but it, it's an undeniable impact on our lives now for right. sure and i hope yeah. that more of these conversations can continue to happen between people who play who are like big gamers and people who are big creatives and teach each other to do both and I know I do realize yeah, that it's a challenge yeah. to do both because of the time investments for each of them. But I just think I I, I think there's a, a stigma against video games, even even though it's so uh -huh. it's such a huge thing in our world still. Um, yeah. And I, I, you know, I just want those I want those groups to come together. I don't see any reason why they can't. <laughs> and because, you know, at the, really think of Comic Con like it's not that far <laughs> off, like comic books not are that not far that off. far off from video games. So. Yeah, and and it's a beautiful thing, man, because you are you are fully expressing the best version of yourself right here on this podcast. You are sharing a lot of your loves, and you're you're threading them together, and you're sharing them out into the world as they as they they're intended to be, because they're they're your configuration, right? And so I absolutely adore that, and I I just hope that you continue this because soon enough you're going to have 
other people circling around who are going to have this very specific shared interest that, you know, that doesn't, doesn't trend well or whatever, you know, people might say, but it's uniquely you and you're going to, you're going to keep finding more of your people and you're going to start, uh, you know, yeah. building that community and making it stronger. Yeah. And I would love to have you back on maybe to talk about, maybe you can be on one of our book episodes or something. That'd be, sure, that'd be awesome. Sure. That'd be a, it'd be uh, a huge honor, man. Yeah. And before we finish here, do you, did you, uh, did you have an opportunity to think of a book and video game that remind you of each other, or have a connection? Um, I, I kind of gave it away, but yeah, I, w- I was going to say Mortal Kombat, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mortal Kombat, uh, and, and since I kind of covered that, uh, God, it's, it's so lame, but, uh, how about we do Pac-Man and the Langoliers, huh? As an early childhood memory, uh, I think, uh, you know, I credit Stephen King to, you know, he's absolutely changed my life. And he's the reason that I learned English in middle school. You know, I was reading books that I wasn't supposed to and <laughs> and picking up books like, you know, Carrie the Shining and Four Past Midnight, which has the Langoliers, completely turned my life upside down and gave me a love for for the craft, for writing. And and just having that association in my mind, you know, the Langoliers felt very existential, very weird. and it it again, you know, as as you folks know from the coalition, that's really sort of a focal point is that existential dread, that absurdist angst of of trying to to just manage the the madness that is time. <laughs> and and uh, you know, I, I sort of put myself at ease knowing that those Langoliers are more like little Pac-Man than anything. Mm. And so it keeps the fear at bay. <laughs> so I would say that. I love that. I I never would have made that connection between the two. That's so good. <laughs> but, it, but it's all it's also a uh, you know unfortunately I I have strong memories with the uh, the old TV adaptation of uh, of the Langoliers, yeah. which uh, I mean, hey, it was great ensemble, it was great mood, yeah. but then those guys showed up, and you're like, what What are we doing here? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, uh, kind of a disappointing uh, third hour. But yeah, I. Um, Thank you, Pac-Man, and thank you, Stephen King, for the <laughs> All right. Oh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna start our our outro here, but hang on with us for a minute afterwards. So, thank you everybody for listening to Arcade Bookshop, and thank you for being here, Jaime. Uh, everybody, be sure to check out Jaime Alejandro's many projects on CoalitionForDigitalNarratives.org. Uh, you can find his podcast there, or on Spotify, and probably many other places as well as the Coalition Works Literary Journal, which you can read or watch for opportunities to submit your creative work. Um, is there anything else you'd like to plug for yourself, Jaime? Um, actually, no, you did a, a beautiful job. I, I hope that you folks uh, check out a, a new piece of fiction that I have over at Barrel House. It's called The Last Offering, and uh, I'm really proud of it. It's a short little piece. And uh, and yeah, if, if you like uh, folk tale kind of stuff, I think it'll be... Uh, Oh, nice. I'll check that out as soon as we get off, actually. I actually read it yesterday. It was really unique. I liked it. One question before you finish your outro. Coalition Works, are there any plans for a print journal in the future? Um, Because you do such a good job with like the, I I forget (laughs) the name of it, but it's like an online page turning kind of, it looks like a book. But a print yeah, journal yeah. would be really cool. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I've I've thought about it. The only way that I would do it is if we are printing and producing for fundraising purposes for certain causes, um, not for the journal itself. Uh, but I love designing. It, the The issue is that it takes too long. The issue of the yeah. issue is that it takes too long. Um, and 
man, like those first issues were amazing. I really love them because I tried to put as much effort as possible into each page so that it would reflect the work that is being showcased, but it just took too much time. The so final product was so there. cool though. <laughs> oh, it just man. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have loved to to keep doing that. Maybe down the road. Maybe if we get more more people to join the coalition, we'll see. We'll see. Let's get it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. Stay tuned every other Monday for regular episodes of Arcade Bookshop. If our last episode was about a video game, you can usually bet the next one's going to be about a book that the game reminds us of. If you're enjoying the show, be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you like listening to us shoot the shit about video games and books, please tell a friend to listen because personal sharing is by far the best way for us to grow and continue putting out great content and increasing the quality of the show. And if you can, Try to rate us five stars and leave some reviews if you haven't already. Uh, you can uh, <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram at arcade underscore bookshop and TikTok and YouTube at arcade bookshop. Um, if you have any book and game recommendations, you can DM us anywhere or email us at arcadebookshop at gmail.com. We'd love to hear cool ideas for the show and not have to think of them all ourselves. Caleb, what's going on with DPW? Uh, let's see, depending when or even what year this podcast episode drops, <laughs> I never know. Um, I think the get the guest episodes you've been dropping, you know, fairly early, so I would imagine a yeah. couple weeks. But uh, when this drops, we'll have already interviewed Tyler Gore and Dr. Mike Caparelli will be on as well. So look out for those, they should already be out by the time this drops. Uh, at DPW Podcast on x slash twitter instagram youtube facebook uh not tiktok never tiktok it's not gonna happen brace <laughs> not gonna do it and i never will our tiktok might be a little short-lived we'll see <laughs> don't get but, rid of those salt in the eye videos those those are great i love no, those, those stay. Only, the only videos i like <laughs> all right thank you again everybody for listening to arcade bookshop Thank you, Jaime. Thank you, Caleb. As always, do as we do. Keep a controller in one hand and a book in the other. 